Tony Suarez and the Lord. Amen. Receive him with an inspired church welcome. Hallelujah. Thank you, Bishop. Clap your hands unto the Lord, all you people. Hallelujah. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you hear, let it be a sweet, sweet sound. One more time, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King. Father, I ask you to take pleasure today in the praises of your people. Anoint this house like only you can. If anything, if any opposing force would try to hinder your move, try to hinder our attention, we take authority over that thing right now. And I ask, Father, that you would give complete liberty to the Holy Spirit to move in this house. Have your way. Do what you want, however you want, with whomever you want, whenever you want. And we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory right now. Would you let a shout of praise erupt all over the house right now? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We have been so honored to be visited by the Spirit of the living God the last several weeks in this house. And we never want to take it for granted. Don't ever take it for granted when the Ancient of Days comes and takes residence in his house. Don't ever take it for granted when he inhabits our praises. I never want to take it for granted when God moves. And so today I'd say, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done over the last few weeks. Thank you for what you've done. And thank you for what you are about to do in this place. In Jesus' mighty name, would you say amen? I'm so glad to be back. I told Bishop, I'm going to start tithing next week. Maybe I ought to start tithing this week. He said, well, maybe we'll get you an office. Maybe I might write that check to see if I get the office. Hallelujah. There's something special happening in Inspire Church. There's something special happening in Houston. And I'm just glad to be a part of it. It has nothing to do with a man. It has nothing to do with one particular person. This is because of your faithfulness to God and because of your praise to God. He's chosen to take residence in this place. He's not just visiting. He's not just passing by. But he said, I'm going to park right here. I'm going to take residence at Inspired Church 
and special things are happening. Miracles are happening. Healing is happening. People are being water baptized. People are giving their life to the Lord. They're being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. This is a special thing. And if you said, well, I haven't seen any of, any of that happen yet. Well, why don't you give God your very best praise this week and see if it doesn't happen in your family and in your money and in your house and with your job. Because it's happening for people right around you. Hallelujah. 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 The book of Psalms chapter 100, first three verses says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth, or shout with joy to the Lord, all ye earth. Next verse. Worship the Lord with gladness and come before him singing with joy. And my emphasis today, and acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people and we are the sheep of his pasture. If I had to title the sermon, I would simply title it, I know who I am. Father, open our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to discern what thus saith the word of the Lord. And I ask that you would confirm it today with signs, miracles, and wonders. Father, we acknowledge that without you we're absolutely nothing, but with you we're more than conquerors. So we acknowledge, Father, your preeminence over this service and your magnificence in our worship. And I just thank you, God, for what you're doing in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said... Amen. You could be seated in the presence of the Lord. I want to share with you today as I open up and, and, and I got a lot to say and I got a little bit of time to say it. So I'm going to talk fast, but that's how I always talk. So that's, that's nothing new to you. Back in about uh, 1999 to 2001, somewhere, I don't remember the, the exact year. But in that time span, I was starting really just starting out in ministry and preaching outside of my local church in Chicago and I was it, it you had had to know my father and the way we had church it was a predominantly hispanic church spanish speaking congregation that was just sold out to worship and um, I know that you've seen a lot of videos uh, probably I would assume you've seen a lot of videos of what worship is like in the large churches and in the crusades that happen in Africa and overseas and the way it is. Well, Hispanic, the Hispanic culture is the same as well. A lot of times when I preach and I talk to my African-American brothers and sisters, I let them know that in the Spanish church, we hoop too. I mean, like we, we have church. We just didn't have ham and organs. We had guitars, but we could, we could hoop. And I mean, we shout and dance all over the church. And so in our church, it was customary that when it was time for praise and worship, um, the only people left in the pews were the visitors. And it was a little awkward because when they would start singing, everybody would come forward. And you'd have to understand the way things were back then, especially in the 80s, 90s, whatever. My dad would just kind of stand on the edge of the platform and just kind of look at all the church members and just kind of watch for them to see who wasn't coming up. Because <laughs> my dad figured if they didn't come up, they were in rebellion if they didn't want to worship the Lord. So you just kind of eyeball you and you just kind of be like either convicted or coerced to coming up to them. And so we'd have these wonderful times of worship and one of those particular Sundays while we were worshiping the Lord gave me a vision and I saw and we were we were pressing into something but the thing is that we were pressing into something and then it would just stop it was it was just a, a, a just a really interesting thing it, it, we we'd get so close to something it felt like we were getting close to something and then just stop 
and we'd go back to church as normal. And I had a vision one Sunday, and in the vision, I'm walking in what I believe to be the corridors of the palace of heaven. There's brick walls stained in red, and there are banners, all with the different names of God. I see all of the names, all of the descriptions, all of the titles that describe the magnificence and the wonders and the and the attributes of our God, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, uh, El Shaddai. I see all in the name, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and I just see these banners, and I'm walking down this long corridor alone and it's it's this massive place and i get to these enormous wooden doors and it looked like old wood and it just it just but what 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 took me about the doors wasn't just how incredibly large the doors were and that they were wooden doors but the doors were shaking and i could see and it sounds weird to say that i could see the wind but i could see the air coming from under the door because there was this opening under the door and you could just kind of see something that was shaking the for those of you that run your air conditioning at 62 degrees you know what i'm talking about because you'll close those bedroom doors but the bed you you could it's almost like you could see the air conditioning coming from underneath the door and so i'm walking and i get close to the door and i can you know the the door's almost just kind of shaken from the airs there's something pulling it on the other side and so i just kind of open i just crack Crack the door open. I hope this is okay. Uh, once I heard Pastor talk about angels, I knew I, I had the right message for today. I, I just kind of cracked the door open and I looked in, and when I looked, all I saw was gold. I saw angels everywhere. Angels everywhere. It was so bright. It was this golden bright light and I opened and I saw them everywhere and they were is just legions of angels and all they were doing was ministering to God I saw a throne I didn't see Jesus I didn't see his face but I knew that there was this there was this God there's there was this Jesus sitting on the throne I couldn't see his face but I knew he was there and they're ministering to him they're worshiping him and so I crack open the door I see it and I let the door go because I immediately felt so inadequate I felt so unworthy I felt so full of sin and I said I don't deserve to be there and I just let go of the door and I opened my eyes the vision ended and that's right about the time the worship ended and everyone went back to their seats it just kind of left me I don't I'm not one to have a lot of visions and dreams and so I had the vision I left it alone didn't say anything to anybody the next week I was preaching for someone else and during their praise and worship the vision came back to me and as they're singing I'm walking down the same corridors I for the sake of time I'm walking down the same corridors I get to the same doors I crack open the door and I let go I feel so unworthy and the worship ended the third week I was preaching for a friend in Brookfield Illinois and we were having, uh, we were having a good move of God. I mean, there was, there was the, the the worship was strong. God was there was something happening in 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 this house. And this time, when I got to the door, I didn't let go. I stepped in. And when I stepped in, every angel that was in that room, it felt like turned and looked at me. Now I had felt unworthy before. I really felt extra unworthy right now. I felt so inadequate for the room that I was in. And the thing that got me is that when I stepped in, again, this is my vision. I didn't say it's theology. I didn't say it's doctrine. I'm just telling you what I saw. When I stepped in and those angels saw me, they stopped singing. And this is what got to me. This is what I want to convey to you. When they saw me, they all stepped aside. These to that side, these to this side. And they looked at me. And they pointed right to the throne. It really got to me. 
that when I came in the room, the angels would step aside so that I would have direct access to the throne of God. It got to me that when I would press in, the angels knew that there was someone greater that was in the room. Not greater than the one on the throne, but there was someone that had authority and access to that throne. And that when I stepped in, they had to give room so that I could access the throne. And a voice spoke to me and he said, you don't know who you are and you don't know what you mean to me. You don't know that when you step into my presence, I'll delight in having you here and the angels will make way so that you can have direct access to me and what I have felt for the last several weeks at Inspire is that we're pushing in and pushing in and pushing into something and we're getting closer to something that's so powerful and so mighty the ministering spirits of Almighty God are just kind of stepping aside and saying let the saints of Inspire have direct access to the throne of God because they the sons and the daughters of the king are in the room and they want to talk to their heavenly father. When this all began, when I say this, I'm talking about creation. When creation began and the angels ministered in the presence of God, we know by the historical accounts that one third of the angels fell. We know that not all angels are, mini- are, are worshiping spirits. We know that there are warring angels. We know that they're guardian angels. We know that there's seraphims and we know that there are cherubims. We know that all of them have an assignment. It's like an army. It's like a military. Everybody has an assignment that they're supposed to do, but there can't exist, there can't exist one millisecond in heaven where there's not praise and worship given to the ancient of days. And so when one third of the angels fell, It's just given that the third of the angels that fell are the ones that Lucifer had authority or had influence on. So that would have been worshiping angels. And they're the ones that fell. But since a millisecond can't exist in heaven where there's not worship that's given to God. There are angels that left their assignments. That left what they were given command to do to make sure that there was worship around the throne. But this is the power of your worship. There are warring angels. There are guardian angels that are assigned to minister and to to bless the people of God but right now they're worshiping God because some of the people I'm not talking about this church but there are the people of God that aren't worshiping God so those angels make sure that there's worship around the throne but this is the power of your worship when you worship God it's as if you release an angel to be able to go do what God has commanded him to do because he doesn't have to worry that there's not worship around the throne so imagine what's been happening for the last three weeks as the number of worshipers and inspire has grown and we've pressed into the presence of God the more we press in the more angels say I can leave and go get the money and go get the blessing and go get the healing and go get the things that belong to the children of God because when the children of God worship then the angels of God can fight when the children of God worship then the angels of God can minister when the people of God press into the throne room then the angels can do so I tell you in Jesus name You do what you're supposed to do. God will do what only he can do. And the angels will do what they're assigned to do. That is the creative order of God. I pressed into a room. But I didn't know who I was. And I I, I felt so unworthy in that vision when I pressed into the throne room of God. This isn't an old pro- this isn't a new problem. This is a common problem. The apostles are in a boat with Jesus in Mark chapter 4. 
A storm arises and they wake him up and they say, don't you care? We're about to die. And Jesus wakes up and he says, peace, be still. And the wind ceases. The storm stops and nobody praises God. Nobody says, behold, he comes. Nobody says, he's an on time God. Yes, he is. The New Living Translation says that they looked at each other terrified. They were terrified. And they said, who is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Now, who are these people? These are, his, these are the apostles. They walk with him. They talk with him. Remember that old song about I go to the garden alone? They wrote it. He walks with me. He talks with me. These are the, this is the most intimate group around Jesus. They know Jesus better than anybody else on the earth. Yet when they're in a storm, they don't know who he is. Proving you can walk with Jesus, talk to Jesus. You can even work for Jesus and not know Jesus. You can know all the doctrine and all the theology, all the customs of the church. You can memorize the hymnal. You can, you can, you can know Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. You can know it and still not know him. They know about him, but they don't know him. They don't know him. That's why when storms come, you can always tell, and I'm not, I'm not, hey, this isn't a rock. This is encouraging. You can always tell because you always got to gauge how your relationship is growing. You got to do that with your marriage, with your children. You got to do that if you're, if you're with your job and you got to do that with your heavenly father. You got to gauge, how's my relationship? You can always gauge how you're doing with God by how you respond to a storm. When trials come, because they will come. When sickness comes, it will come. When hard times come, how do you respond? Because that will let you know if you've been caught in a religious slump or if you're still as close as the mention of his name. So Jesus puts him in a boat a few months later and he switches it up. This time he said, I'm not going to be in the boat, but I'll see you on the other side. I'll catch up with you. That should have been the first indicator that Jesus was going to do a miracle. If you're ever in a storm and Jesus says to you, I'll see you on the other side, don't fret the storm. If you're ever about to go through something, but God says, I'll see you on the other side, don't you worry what you're about to go through. Because it's already been established that it doesn't matter what happens between point A and point B. God already said, I'll see you on the other side. So if you have an unfulfilled prophecy, don't you fret this storm. God's going to make sure that your eyes see what thus saith the Lord has been spoken to you. So they're in another boat. They're with Jesus. Or Jesus isn't in the boat with them at the time. But the storm arises. And Jesus comes walking on the waters. Now they have spent more time with him. They've seen more miracles. They've seen more signs. More wonders. And when he gets close, they said, oh my God, it's a ghost. Jesus says, gentlemen, it's me. Don't fear. And Simon says, I got this one, boys. Hey, um, if it's you, let me walk on the water. I told you, it's a ghost. He's playing. And then he hears, come on. 
Now, Simon is a fisherman by trade. Simon knows boats. And by knowing boats, he knows storms. He knows about waves. He knows. Simon is in a place of wisdom. Simon knows this. Simon doesn't know that. So Simon is having to step out of wisdom and walk in a place he's never walked before. He's having to go to a new place that's unfamiliar, unchartered territory. He's seen it, but he's never had to walk in it. This is where God's calling us right now, to walk in a new place. It's unlike anything we maybe have walked in our lifetime, but I'm, I'm being challenged. And so Simon has to step out of what he knows into a new place. But it's in the new place that he has an encounter with Jesus that will change his life and his identity forever. Now the legalists will say, yeah, brother Tony, but you remember he drowned. But the grace preachers in the room will say, yeah, brother and sister, but Jesus saved him from drowning. I mean, it just depends on what part of the story you want to focus on. I choose to focus on that he had an experience with the saving hand of Jesus. He had an experience with Jesus on the water at change him forever because a few months later they're at the beach again and Jesus and the disciples are having they're not having a fish fry because they didn't have fried food yet but they're grilling fish on the beach and Jesus says I got a question for you who do men say that I am and one of them said well you know some people say you're a prophet uh one one person said Elijah (laughs) and then Jesus says um And who do you say that I am? And Simon jumped. Now I'm going to use a word that, well, I won't use the word. I was going to say shut up, but you can't say the word. He got up and he said, shush, no one talk. Archie Bunker, stifle yourself. I hope that's not bad language, by the way. If it is, I'm sorry. He said, shush, don't anybody say anything stupid. Do you see where we're at? We're on a beach. He probably got a boat hidden in the bush over there. I mean, you say the wrong thing and we're going back in a boat. No one talk. He said, I know who you are. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. I know who you are. Why was it Simon that jumped up and gave the answer? Because it was Simon that had the experience. Why was it Simon? It was Simon. It was Simon that gave the answer because it was Simon who walked on the water. Now look, if there's anything I know, I know Pentecostal preachers. I guarantee you with everything in me that every man in the boat, minus Judas, everyone in the boat got up and preached about a man walking on the water. I promise you, because there ain't a Pentecostal preacher in this world that'll let a story like that go and not preach about it. I promise you, they all got up at their churches a few years later and said, one day I saw a man, he is walking on the waters, the storm had raged and the wailing, but I saw him, I promise you they all did it. They all did it. I saw, let me tell you, what my eyes have seen. I promise you they all did it. But then there was Simon. Simon never had to preach and say, let me tell you what I saw. He never had to say, let me tell you what God did for those other men. But when Simon would preach, he'd say, let me tell you about what God did for me. Because I didn't see a man walk on the water. I am the man that walked on the water. I am the man that drowned. But God saved me. 
This is going back a little bit to last week. But you, there comes a place in your life where you can no longer live off of what God has done for everyone else. But you need to have your own personal experience with God so that you can know who you are in Christ Jesus. And I come to you in the authority of the Holy Ghost to tell you that what you've been living through hasn't been to curse you, but it's been to identify you so that you would know who you are. I'm not cursed. I'm not a sinner that's going to be lost to the pit of hell, but I am redeemed. I am restored and I'm the seed of Abraham and I'm the child of the living God. Hallelujah. He says, thou art the Christ. Musicians, help me because I'm coming too close. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon, son of Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to thee, but my father, which is in heaven. And now I say unto thee, thou art Peter. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's important. What I just said to you is important because up until this time, he had never been called Peter before. He was always Simon, the son of Barjona. He was Simon, the son of a fisherman. He was Simon, a fisherman like his daddy was a fisherman. But when Simon got a revelation of who Jesus was, when Simon understood who Jesus was, when he understood this is more than just a man. This is more than just a rabbi. This is more than just a teacher. This is the son of the living God. This is God on the earth. This is God robed up and robed up and wrapped up in flesh. This isn't just a man. This isn't just a good leader. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. When Simon understood who Jesus was, then Jesus said, now I can tell you who you are. You're not the son of a fisherman. You're the son of almighty God. You're not Simon, the son of Barjona. You're Peter, the son of the living God. And I'm changing you from being a fisherman to becoming a rock. And what comes out of your mouth, the gates of hell shall not, cannot, and will not prevail against it. I prayed for you this week. I prayed for you over the last two days that God would open your eyes to understand who you are so that when you face this week, you'll say, I know who I am. I'm not the loser that I thought I was. I'm not the sinner that I thought I used to be, but I have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Not only that, but my name has changed because I got the name of Jesus applied to my life. That means that when hell sees me. They don't see me for what I used to be, but they see me for who I am now. Righteous, redeemed, restored, and saved by the blood of the Lamb. Give him praise. You gotta know who you are. When you know who you are, 
You'll walk different. You'll talk different. You'll act different. Not out of arrogance, but out of holy confidence. Because you'll know that God has assigned his angels and given them charge over you. Because you're the apple of God's eye. He cares about you so much that God gave you a song that the angels cannot sing. They worship him as almighty God, but you and I worship him as a good, good father. They worship him as the king of kings, but I worship him because the same blood that flowed through his veins now flows through me as well. I worship him because I'm part of the family of God. I've been engrafted in the family. I'm an adopted son. And when hell sees me, they don't see T-O-N-Y. They see J-E-S-U-S. Over the last year, I've gotten to spend a favorable amount of time with Bishop Hurd. It's a wonderful man. When you speak, when you talk to Bishop Hurd, he engages. You know, have you ever talked to somebody and they're on their phone while you're talking to them? And you just kind of feel like, ugh, like you want to listen? It's like you could talk to them and just like turn into a nursery rhyme and they wouldn't, they'd be like, uh-huh, oh, cool. Mary had a little lamb. Wow, fascinating. Because you're not really, well, when you talk to Bishop Hurd, he engages, he listens, makes eye contact. He's engaged, very engaged. But when those grandbabies come around, even at, I'm telling you, we go to, we go to lunch. When those grandbabies come, it's not that he's not engaged, but when those grandbabies come around, he's looking for grandbabies. There are angels in heaven right now around the throne worshiping God. But when his children... When the sheep of his pasture step into the room, I promise, that's why God inhabits the praises of his people. I remember when my daddy was still alive, when I would bring grandbabies to Chicago. It didn't matter how busy he was in that office, didn't matter how busy it was working. But when he heard grandbabies were landing in Chicago, my dad would leave wherever he was to get to the airport to be around those babies. That helped me to understand what it means when the Bible says that God. God inhabits the praises of his people. When he hears a hallelujah, when he hears a thank you, Jesus, he'll descend from that throne and get in the midst of the praises of his children because he'd rather be around you than anybody else because you're the apple of his eye. Even the angels know. There come the kids. Make room and let the kids come to the Father. So I heard an old song by Nancy Harmon. I think she describes it the best. In fact, I could have just written, I could could have just read you the words of her song and not preached the rest and you'd have gotten it. This is what Nancy Harmon said. I'm here to try to help you understand your identity in Christ so that this week you will press through with holy boldness. Not, Not a nervous knock. Because that's how some people have been praying. God, I, I hope you'll answer my prayer. God, whew, I'm really hoping. Fingers crossed. They don't say fingers crossed. But that's how their prayer is. God, I really hope. You don't come to the Father with fingers crossed. You come to the Father with open hands. You come to the Father expectant. 
When my kids would come around, my, my dad, when he was still living, my kids would, when they'd see their, they'd call him Papa. When they saw Papa, they'd come and they just knew they were getting something in their hands. They just, I mean, it almost looked like we were about to have communion at a traditional church. They're like, Papa! Trying to help you understand your identity in Christ so you know how to approach the throne and press in so that God can do what only he can do. This is what Nancy Harmon said. She wrote a song called King's Kid. And these are the words. And please, let's not sing it for the altar call, by the way. I just want to read the words. (laughs) Made in his likeness, created in God's image, the very breath of God lives in me. Made with mercy and crowned with his favor, goodness and mercy follows me. The seed of Abraham, an adopted royalty. I'm a holy line and I'm a special breed. Because I was made in his likeness, created in God's image, and the very breath of God lives in me. You can call me a king's kid. I know who I am. I'm a holy child. I'm the seed of Abraham. I'm the righteous one. I've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And the only king of kings is kin to me. The tree of righteousness, a jewel in Papa's crown, a king, a priest, the apple of God's eye. Heirs of the Father, join heirs with the Son, and the riches of the kingdoms are all mine. The salt of the earth, the light of the world, everything my Father has, he's passed it on to me. I was made in his likeness, created in God's image, and the very breath of God lives in me. That is who you are, ladies and gentlemen. So lift your eyes, lift your spirit, and I challenge you this week to press boldly into the throne room. Press boldly into the presence of God and watch as angels will make their way to the side and give you direct access to the throne. And then watch as God takes pleasure in your praise. Watch as God answers your prayer and watch how God moves on your behalf because of who he is and who you are in Christ Jesus. Would you give him praise? room. My apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher, nutritionist, financial guru, I'm his Robin, he's my Batman, Pastor Sam Rodriguez, but I won't wear tights, so... I can't really be Robin. I told him I'm going to be Robin in skinny jeans, but I can't do the tights. You know, I started working with Pastor Sam about nine years ago. I have any intention of telling this story, but I just felt to tell it right now for someone. Nine years ago, I started working with Pastor Sam. I'm living in Norfolk, Virginia. And about one in the morning, I get a phone call from Pastor Sam. I answered. He said, Tony, good, you're up. He said, I got a big problem. I'm supposed to be getting on a red-eye flight to D.C. Because I have a meeting with President Obama in the morning. They just canceled the flight. Are you guys getting bad weather? I'm like, yeah, it's a blizzard. I'm like, we got like 13 inches of snow and it's still falling. He's like, well, yeah, man, they canceled my flight. Is there any, this one in the morning, any chance you could go to D.C. to meet with the president for me? I'm like, oh. Like, where's my catcher so I can fall? Because I mean, I'm like, what? Then I saw a pillow, so I just fell gracefully. I just, oh my God. I'm like, uh, yeah. Now, not to sound like Gilligan's Island, but Norfolk to D.C. is a three-hour, you know. 
took me almost eight hours slipping and sliding, spinning, finally got there. Now, this isn't a poor me story, but I'm just going to put it the way it was. No exaggeration whatsoever. I had four, cuatro, four dollars to my name. I had four dollars in the checking account and in the savings account. We only had one account. We had four dollars in the general fund. And I got to drive to DC and I had an old, I put on an old suit. At least my suit looked good. I mean, I had an old suit and that's back, you know, nine years ago. And please don't judge me. I'm just going to be real with you. That's back in the day that when you'd swipe your debit card at the gas pump, it would only authorize a dollar. Even if you got $30 of gas, don't judge me. It was a bad time for me. So it authorized the dollar. My wife said, what are you going to do? I'm like, we'll deal with whatever happens tomorrow, tomorrow. So they authorize a dollar. Now I got $3. I get to DC and it costs $2 to park the car. Now I got $1. And it was at that point I said, Lord, I dedicate this day as a day of fasting to you. Primarily because I only have $1. Everybody else is flying to meet with the president in their private planes. And they got transportation services. They're pulling up in black limos and black SUVs. And here comes me in a putt-putt, you know, old minivan. You know, I mean, it's like Flintstones. You almost got to put your foot out there to stop it. So I didn't even park around the White House. I parked a few blocks away in a residential area and walked. And I felt like a loser. I'm just being honest with you. I felt like, a, I, I, I just felt, I said, I don't have any right to be here. When you get to the White House, there's two different sets of security you have to get through before you can get to the West Wing. So I went through the first set. They let me in. Second set, they let me in. And I got this pass. Once you get this pass, you can relatively go wherever you need to go in the West Wing. That doesn't mean you, you know, doesn't mean you go up to the family room and sit down and watch a movie. But I'm saying you can get in the West Wing in the offices. And I felt like a dummy. I don't even know how else to explain it. I felt so dumb being there because I said, I don't deserve to be here. This is so, these are, there's millionaires. These are, these are people of influence. I got a dollar in my checking account. I got to figure out how to explain that tomorrow when I get home. And I'm walking into the West Wing with my head held, just my head, my head hanging low, feeling like a loser. There's a Marine that stands at the door of the West Wing when you're walking into that area before the Oval Office, there's a Marine. His only job is to open the door and... It's his only job. He doesn't even look at you because if you're in that area, then you've already been granted access. So he doesn't have to judge your access. He doesn't have to look you over. You, you've already been granted access. So his only job is to... And I was getting close to the door and the Marine that opened the door for the multimillionaires, the, the Marine that opened the door for the people of great influence, when the guy with a dollar and a broken down minivan pulled up, he did, you know what he did for me? And the Lord spoke to me. He said, you lift your head up. You're not here because of who, uh, anything you've done. You're here because I've assigned this place for you. I've assigned you to walk in this place. You hold your head up because you represent me. You represent the kingdom and I've given you access. So you walk in like you're a child of the king. 
I tell you in Jesus name the enemy has lied to you long enough telling you that you'll always be broke that you'll always be insignificant that you don't matter I tell you in the name of Jesus you pick your head up God has given you access to the throne room of the king of kings God has given you throne room God has given you access to all the gold and the silver in his hand all the power of his name all the power to move heaven and earth in fact Jesus said the things that I do so shall you do and things greater than this so lift your eyes lift your spirit and declare today I know who I am I know who I am I'm not who I used to be I'm redeemed Because you know who you are in God. Hallelujah. What a word. Because so many people struggle with their identity. Because circumstances can speak over your life an identity that is not correct. You are not who your circumstances have declared you are. You are who the Son of God has made you to become. Amen. I was listening to Tony talk, and I've been in very many situations similar to that. Have you ever been in one like that? Where you looked around and wondered, what am I doing here? I don't really belong. But yet, I looked it up just a moment ago while I was preaching In the 11th chapter and the 38th verse of Hebrews, it says, of whom the world was not worthy. You have an identity in God that nobody else in the room may have recognized. But you know who you are in God if you will accept the promises of his word. 